0: You may visit our website for more information at sccview.net. Again, that's sccview.net. Thanks again for listening. I hope that you have a wonderful day.
1: Good afternoon. The lights get you when you first come on. Hey, uh, like Diane said, my name's Chris. I'm our Connections pastor here at SCC. And I get the privilege of talking to you uh, as we continue working through our Get Dressed series, um, I get to talk to you about the helmet of salvation. Now, before we really get into that, I just want to kind of show you this photo of this handsome gentleman here. Um, This is kind of what what historians would kind of agree um, is a, uh, this is a Roman soldier. Now, when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, specifically when he was talking about the armor of God, he referred back to the elite soldier of his day when he wanted to tell us what kind of armor we need to put on to deal with our spiritual battles. He chose, excuse me, he chose a Roman soldier. And uh, so Pastor Jess talked a lot about what that looks like and and what those different parts of the armor are. And have you guys been enjoying the series so far? Yeah? Amen? (laughs) He's done a great job really breaking down some heavy stuff, I think. And I've enjoyed it and learned a lot from it. Um, Well, here's the thing, I can't look at this guy on the screen without thinking about the movie Gladiator, right? Now, I know we're not supposed to admit that we've watched the movie Gladiator in church because it's rated R, but look, Gladiator was an awesome movie, okay? And I could quote half of it, but I won't. Um, But here's the thing, contact sports, when I think about gladiators and soldiers and stuff like that, I think about contact sports. Now, contact sports have been around for a long time. Like uh, ancient Greece, they had uh, what we would now today kind of call a version of uh, amateur wrestling. That was around back then. Um, you know, uh, we saw the chariot races like in the old movies and, and think about these gladiators. Well, here's the thing that, um, that I think in recent years, like if you really, really think about the whole helmet of salvation, which is what we're talking about, in recent years, we've heard a lot about like head injuries in sports, Right. Football, you know, now, now there's penalties kicked out of the game for head-to-head and intentional targeting and all that stuff. And so what's crazy is it's taken uh, football, what it took Paul, you know, much less time to realize we really have to protect our minds because here's what happens. If something happens to your mind, it's going to affect the way you behave. It's going to affect the way you think, Right. Um, And the mind does trigger a lot of things. I kind of want to show you, let's go back to football for a second. Let's look at this helmet. Now, were any of you around? Did any of you guys wear one of these in high school or or anything? No, of course not, right? Because if you look at that, it doesn't offer a lot of protection, does it? Like, it kind of reminds me of those old like aviator or pilots uh, hats. So it just doesn't offer a ton of protection. It's got a little bit of fur lining in there. So to me, that looks more like something I would wear if my ears were cold. Okay? So, but that's what they wore to play full contact football. Now, what we would learn is that head trauma and things like this, this is a big deal because um, uh, we, we found like football players for the NFL 15 years after they retired would do like these crazy things and and they would become abusive at home or or wild or angry, you know, and we found out it's not necessarily their fault. They had head trauma from when they were much younger and that's the reason it's so protected. Look at this next helmet. This is why we've evolved to using this. All right, you can stop. Don't bark, but go dogs, okay? And here's the thing. Here's the thing. And now look, I, I need to say this now. Because somebody's going to be like, I don't know why you didn't use a Florida helmet. Because this is Georgia, Jack. That's why. Now, listen. Here's the thing. If you don't like Georgia and you're upset that I picked that helmet, that's fine. Send your email to spamfilter at sccview.net. Okay? But here's the thing. So we've learned. All right. Let me just say this. Being a Georgia Bulldog fan is a lot like being married, folks. (laughs) Men don't agree. Be careful. But you got to love them, better or worse. That's just the way that works. (laughs) Unless you're married to my beautiful wife, Jessica, which couldn't be here today, but my uh, uh, honey, it's never worse with you. I promise. You're watching online. I I promise. So um, here's the thing. Defending our mind is important. I believe that's why Paul, out of all the things that the Holy Spirit could have told his heart to write about, out of all the things God could have put on his heart to, to, to talk about for our salvation, which is the most important part of the Christian life, out of all those things, I believe that's why he chose the helmet. He could have picked anything, but he chose the helmet because our mind is our biggest target for the enemy. Would you agree? Ben, here's the thing. You think about it, and a lot of things happen in your mind before they happen physically. Like, um, you know, (laughs) I get accused sometimes of not thinking before I speak, but the truth is uh, something in your mind, in your brain, fires off before your mouth opens. It tells your mouth to open. Before I could walk out from backstage to come out here and speak to all of you awesome people today, my mind had to tell my foot to move. It starts in your mind. And most sin starts there. We're going to get into that in a moment, but a lot of things, they do start in our mind. And that's the reason why I believe Paul chose the salvation, because we have to protect that. We have to protect the way we think, because would you agree, the way that I think affects the way that I behave? Right? Okay, so we can... We can think about that. Um, here's the thing. Salvation. What is salvation? If you're here, you're not a Christian, you're checking us out, and maybe, maybe you've always been in church, but you've never really given your heart to Christ. Here's the thing. Here's what salvation is, okay? Salvation is, is the knowledge and belief that Jesus Christ came to earth to die for every sin, everything wrong you have done, are doing, will do on the drive home from church today, will think on the drive home from church today, or will do for the rest of your life. And he did so because he loves us and wanted to make us right with his Father in heaven so that we could live eternally after we die on earth in heaven with God. And the only way we could do that was through Jesus. That is salvation in a nutshell. I know it's a huge concept, but if you're new or maybe you've never been to church before or maybe you're watching at home and have never been to church before, that's salvation. And that's the most important aspect of the Christian life. Now the knowledge... Of that salvation is what protects our minds. So, I want to move right into our key passage today. And so, we're in Ephesians 4, verses 21 through 24. We're going to camp out there for a good bit today. But I want to read this to you. Since you have heard, let me preface this. When Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it to a church in Ephesus, and they already knew about Jesus, okay? So, it's kind of like a letter coming here to the church for all of us to read. So, don't feel like, okay, well, I haven't heard yet. That's who he's sending this to. He says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Now, stop there for a second. What Paul is saying, he's referencing a change that happens when you have the knowledge of Christ in your life. He's talking about a change. Something changes. Maybe a mindset. Maybe a lifestyle. Maybe a, a daily activity. Whatever it is, something changes. And then he continues, which is corrupted by lust... And deception. Now let's just look at that first one there Um, lust. Most of us, we hear that word and we instantly think physical, right? But what did I say earlier? It starts in your mind. Before the body does anything, the mind thinks something. It starts in our mind. And then he says, Instead, let the Spirit, that's God's Holy Spirit, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So putting on the the helmet of salvation means daily renewing our thoughts and attitudes. If you want to make that note somewhere. Uh, Putting on the helmet of salvation means daily renewing our thoughts and attitudes. And here's what that means. There's some work that goes into it. You don't just wake up and voila, helmet of salvation is on and I'm following Jesus. Um, But speaking of waking up, did y'all enjoy that extra hour last night? Just me? Really? I'll take y'all's extra hours if you don't want to y'all that was good Um, but look there's some effort that goes into it it is a daily decision that you make to put on the helmet of salvation to continually remind yourself i am saved by jesus christ and i'm different than i used to be i ain't perfect but i'm not who i was it's a process and there's effort that goes into that and here's the thing it must be an intentional and willful change god's not going to force change on you for some of us, it would be a lot easier if he did, wouldn't it? You know, God's not going to force that change on you. Now, here's the thing. We, we could all stand to make some changes in our life. Would you all agree with that? Let's just go ahead and agree And agree before two months from now, we're all talking about the changes we're wanting to make in 2017. Let's just go ahead and agree that we could all, make, we could all stand for a change. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at somebody, one person, just pick one person. I want you to look at somebody and say, you might need to make a change. Just, just do that real quick. Go ahead, I'll give you a second. Okay, all right, now look at the person who was your second best option that you really didn't want to talk to this morning and tell them you definitely need to make a change. (laughs) All right, so we're talking about change and renewing our mind, but here's the thing. All right, all right, all right, got you all awake now. Listen, here's the thing, here's the big question. This is the question that all of us have, and even if we don't know it, what does change require of me? See, because change always requires something, right? You know, the whole equal and opposite reaction, something doesn't change unless it's acted upon. So change requires something. It always requires something. And I'm going to give you today, uh, my, my goal for the day is i want to give you three things that change requires, no matter what it is you need to change in your life. I'm going to give you three things that change requires. The first one is this. Change requires learning the truth. Change requires learning the truth. And so to that end, I would ask, who in here has ever believed a lie? Okay. Most of us, all right. Um, look, it, here's the thing. If you didn't raise your hand, I would ask, you know, here, or I would just say this. Um, if you've ever bought anything on television after midnight that was guaranteed to give you a six-pack in six days, you have believed a lie. But in the event you have found one that works, just give me a holler. I want to know. <laughs> I need to get right there with you. Oh, and thank y'all for not laughing at that. Y'all are so sweet. Look, we've all believed a lie. As a matter of fact, I'm going to quote um, uh, someone once said there's a sucker born every minute, right? Y'all, some of y'all in sales, you, you might have said that last week at work. But um, here's the deal. By ignorance or deception, we have all believed a lie. And sometimes that deception is self-deception. Have you and I'm sure nobody in here has ever done this, but sometimes we tell a lie so many times that we believe it. There are no bass fishermen here this morning? None? Really? Uh-huh. Because y'all know. Okay. But here's the thing. When the truth comes out, everything changes, don't it? When we believe a lie, when the truth comes out, everything changes. I want to quote the great Bible scholar, <clears throat> Elvis Presley, when he said, the truth is like the sun... You can shut it out for a time, but it ain't going away. Now, that is Proverbs level wisdom from the brilliant mind that brought you um, uh, Jailhouse Rock and Hound Dog, okay? But isn't that true? it's just like the sun. You can hide the truth for a little while, but it ain't going anywhere. So back to our key passage, verse 21. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. So remember I said, they already knew about Jesus and they already knew about the truth that comes from him. So in John 8, 31, let's fast forward a little bit and we're coming to Jesus here. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Okay, let's modernize that. So basically, what he's, that's, that's the Word of God. That's the Bible. You, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth. Read this with me. And the truth will set you free. Now, most of us have heard that. Even if you've never cracked open a Bible, you've heard that. And here's why. That is one, outside of maybe John 3.16, and uh, for athletes, Philippians 4.13, outside of those verses, that's one of the most quoted passages in Scripture. We see it in like legal movies, Uh, the law and orders, all those. And they say, the truth will set you free. Well, here's the thing. The truth really will set you free. It really will. It's it's actually been proven um, by psychologists uh, that the truth will set you free. And here's the thing. Have you ever had like a fear, like a real deep fear that was based on a lie? Like maybe you walked into work one Monday morning and they said, ah, the company's closing company's closing, uh, uh, they're they're cutting back, they're taking away our benefits, and then it didn't happen. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Or maybe uh, you get a phone call from a friend that you haven't seen forever, and they say they saw somebody doing something they shouldn't have been doing, and your whole ride home from work, you're terrified, and then you find out it was a lie. Some of our deepest fears are based on lies, but here's the thing, when the truth comes out, like I said, everything happens. The truth sets you free from the bondage of the fear of stuff that was always a lie to begin with. The truth sets us free. There's freedom in knowing what's real. You can see me. I'm here. I'm real. But if you close your eyes and I leave and they play a tape of me and you keep your eyes closed, you think I'm here, but I'm not. See, the thing is, there is no reality apart from the truth. Deception is false. It's not real. A lie is not real. It has consequences that can be. But... Psychologists have told us that um, there is only reality and truth, and this is the reality that Jesus gave his disciples and all of us, for that matter. In John fourteen five through six, uh, Thomas, who was one of his disciples, Thomas said to him, "Lord, we do not know where you are going." Now, give you a little context here. Thomas, okay, was a disciple, and Jesus had just told his disciples that he was about to ascend back to the throne throne room of heaven. He was going back to his father. And now these were followers of Jesus. They literally walked one step at a time behind him everywhere that he went. And they were saying, well, if you're going somewhere, how do I go there? And this is what Jesus said. Um, He says, how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, and this will sound familiar. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Now, Jesus didn't draw a ton of hard lines in the sand and say, you're going to do this or else. I mean, he was very honest about sin and that sort of thing, but this is one time where he took a stand and Jesus said, Jesus didn't say, there are many ways to heaven. You can follow any God. You can do anything. You can be Buddhist. You can do this. And I'm not picking on anybody, but he, this is the truth. It's the truth. See, Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say living a wonderful life and being generous and and giving to the Salvation Army Santa Claus every time you go into Target around Christmas. He didn't say any of that. What he said is, I, Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He did not compromise that. He stated a fact. And here's the thing. Talked a little bit earlier about what salvation is and what salvation means, right? We believe that just like those disciples, it is impossible for us to follow Jesus standing still. We are stretched in our faith, every time we open the Bible, every time we come to service, every time we worship, we are stretched in our faith to continually take next steps. And we believe that with everything we have here at SEC. You'll never come hear a message here without a next step. So maybe this is you this morning, and maybe you, you've heard about what I was saying about salvation and you need to ask Christ into your heart or maybe your, maybe your story's like mine and you grew up in church and then one day Jesus pulled on your heart and he said, you know all about me but you don't know me. That was my story. So maybe that's you this morning. Well, here's the thing. On the back of your connection card, if you'll turn that over, I'm going to pray a prayer with you that's in your program and all I'm going to do is ask for, ask for you to, if this is you this morning and you want to ask Jesus into your heart, you want to make this decision, pray that prayer along with me. Check the box on your connection card that says, I prayed the prayer to become a Christ follower. And here's why. First, I want to welcome you into the family. And second, I want to pray for you this week. So we bow our heads, let's pray. Dear Lord, I know that I've not lived a perfect life. I've sinned. I've done things wrong and I've done things that, that, that you, you don't like. You frown upon, Lord. And I, I know though that Jesus died for my sins because he loved me that much, and because you loved me that much, and you wanted to bring me back to you so that I could live in heaven forever. And I ask for that forgiveness. I embrace that forgiveness, and God, I thank you for your mercy and your love, and I pray that you'll help me to do your will in my life. Amen. If that's you this morning, all I ask is that you check the box. I want to pray for you this week, and welcome to the family, most importantly. Amen. Change requires number two. Many people in here just did this, I hope. Maybe they did it at home, wherever they did it. People just made one. We're going to do this too. Uh, Change requires number two, making decisions. Change requires making decisions. So back to our key passage, verse 22 says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. So that's where we're at in the verse. Now I want to tell you a story about one of my favorite people in the world. Okay, There's a young lady that's recently graduated, she is now actually leading a SCC Connect group um, with, with another of our our recent grads. She's leading this group up at North Georgia University, and uh, she said she was going to be watching, so hey Sarah. Um, her name is Sarah Benton. So I want to tell you a story about her. See, from, from all the way in like middle school, all the way through high school, I used to get to, and I still do some, work with our student ministry. Well, Sarah, you, Sarah never said goodbye when she was saying bye. Like if you said bye, Sarah, we'll see you next week. Sarah would say, make good choices. So when Sarah graduated, I sat her down and we had a talk and I explained to her that now that she was a grown-up, grown-up, I explained to her that now that you're going to college and you're all grown-up, you're going to not be making so many choices, but you're going to start making some decisions. Now listen, before anybody emails me, I realize that Webster says they're pretty much the same thing. Okay, a choice and a decision. But doesn't the word decision have a little bit more finality to it? Like, uh, to me, a choice is like, do you want fries with that? A decision is like, where do you want to diversify your portfolio? That's the difference. And so I sat her down, and I was explaining to her, and I was like, so here's the difference. Um, you've always made these choices, like, do you want fries or onion rings? But now you're going to be making decisions, like, what is my major? What is my career path? Who am I going to marry? Which I told her she should wait till she's 45. And she said, um, you know she was just kind of looking at me like she was like that is that is a difference and i'm like exactly and it's a decision that's the difference between to me anyway the choice of uh the difference between a choice and a decision so uh philippians 2 12 13 says this continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose now, I talked earlier about the six-minute ab thing, but for real, though, some of you guys do workout, right? Okay. So you didn't, did anybody ever go to the gym once and expect, like, a dramatic change? And then when you got home, you were like, I'm doing this no more, I don't care. Honey, you were wrong, the treadmill didn't help, you know. Here's the thing, when you go to the gym, in order to be like a big, buff, strong guy, strong woman, when you go to the gym, it's a decision, first of all, but you're working out something that already exists. You're developing what you already have. You're not fabricating something new. You're building what you started with, right? And that's why he says, continue to work out your salvation. Now, many of us, depending on your church background, maybe you've been taught that to uh, uh, once you're saved, you're good. And I would agree that once you are truly saved and Jesus is the Lord of your life, you are good. You have that eternal security, but what it says here is continue to work out your faith. Because I believe our faith is like a spiritual muscle. We're going to work out our faith, our salvation. It's a spiritual muscle. And the more you work it out, the stronger it's going to become. Amen? The more, the more of your life it's going to permeate every part of. And, and here's the next line, and this is the beauty. For it is God who works in you. See, while you're working out the outside, God's working out on the inside. While you're working on what people see when you go to work, God's working on what is inside your heart and how you feel about those people. But it's a decision. You can have your salvation or you can work out your salvation. It's a decision that you have to make. Uh, Putting on the helmet of salvation is a decision that you have to make. I want to read the next verse. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says this, uh, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. You notice that He didn't say, try to be courageous, did he? He didn't say, think about maybe being strong. Now he didn't say, be the most courageous or the strongest. For as much as you can, be courageous and be strong, and I found that God makes up the difference when we do that in obedience. I want to give you another decision, another next step. If you've recently begun following Christ or maybe you've been doing it for a while and and you've been away, I want to give you the opportunity on November 20th to be baptized. And, And I don't have a ton of time to go into that now, so what I will say, if you sign up, if you decide to make that decision to tell the whole world I'm following Jesus Christ, He's made a change in me. And you sign up and choose what service you want, I'll contact you this week and we'll get the ball rolling and I will answer any question you have about that because it's that important. And so are you. Number three, change requires the Holy Spirit. If Y'all notice the atmosphere just changed a little bit when I said that because some of us, myself included, depending on your church background, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, it might mean something completely different to you. You may have heard or been taught from different traditions or church denominational structures. You may have been taught something completely different about that. So I want to try to help you with that. I want to try to help you with that. Here's the way I would define the Holy Spirit living in your life. Remember, you've got to learn the truth, you've got to make a decision, and you've got to have the Holy Spirit. Those are the the three things that change requires. The Holy Spirit, when you've listened to the truth, when you've learned it, when you've made that decision, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit then comes into your life in what many of us would call like like a a conscience, right? And and sometimes you might feel convicted uh, if you do something wrong. Now, sometimes, though, that can be translated to condemnation. And that's when the enemy creeps in and says, you shouldn't have done that. You're not really saved. God doesn't really love you. He's frowning. He's mad at you. He's upset with you. But the truth is, that is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart and convicting you, saying that, That choice, that decision, that mistake, that sin, that thought, those words, that's not who you are anymore. You have been made new in Jesus. You have been forgiven for those things. The Holy Spirit will guide you and walk with you every single day of your life. And it is a beautiful, beautiful relationship that no matter when you're alone and you think, you know, when you leave, it's, it's easy to say, oh, I feel the presence of God when we're standing right here. And we're in a family setting like this together. But it's a lot harder when you're driving behind the only person on the road driving the speed limit. Amen? It's a lot harder when they get your lunch order wrong and you don't realize it until you get back to work. Amen? But the Holy Spirit is with us in everything we do. And that's the beautiful relationship that we have. Ephesians four twenty three and 24, wrapping up, our, um, wrapping up our key verse. It says, instead let the Spirit, get that, it says let the Spirit, that's another decision. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So I'm going to challenge you. If the first two next steps that I gave you didn't challenge you, it's my prayer today that this one will. i want to give you this next step if you'll turn over your connection card, and I want to ask everybody in here to to kind of get on the same page with me, and that's this. I will invite the Holy Spirit to guide me every day for the rest of my life. It's a decision, church. And speaking of the Holy Spirit, one of the the biggest verses we use in church world when we're talking about the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read this one. It's the next verse. It's Acts 1-8. You might be familiar with it. All right, let's read this one. Um, This is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, okay? Uh, But you will receive guilt when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Did y'all hear that? I said, you will receive shame when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Maybe I got a different translation than y'all do. Um, You will receive apathy and complacency and weakness. Church, that's not what that verse says at all. That verse says, read this with me, but you will receive shame. Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, depending on what your background is, I think we can all agree that when the Holy Spirit is in our life, we know it. And that power is the knowledge and the awareness of the presence of God in our actions, our decisions, our attitudes, the way we think about people, the way we talk and treat people, talk to and treat people. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There is a power that is the awareness of the presence of God in my life, right here where I'm standing, right there where you're sitting. In the car on the way home today. When your kids won't put on their seatbelt. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says this. I'm going to kind of start winding this down. As all of us, well, let me, before I do that, our core four goals here at SCC. one of them is to grow in God's character. Let me tell you something this morning, church. There is no better way to grow in God's character than to walk in God's spirit. No better way because once you've learned the truth and you've made your decision and you're walking in God's character you're putting on the armor of God every day you're putting on the helmet of salvation when the enemy starts reminding you of your past you get to remind him of his future that's huge second corinthians 3:18 says this All of us reflect the glory of the Lord with unveiled faces. In other words, we are very aware and we are shining forth the light of God to the world. With unveiled faces, we are becoming more like Him with ever increasing glory by the Lord's Spirit. That's a powerful thought, amen? Let me ask you something, church. Did you know that Jesus sang? Four times in the Bible uh, we, we see Jesus sing and worship the Father in the Spirit with his closest friends, with his church. Now we know that Jesus' life was a model that we're supposed to walk after daily. And here's the beauty, is Jesus didn't just model what it was like for him to wake up in the morning knowing the truth and the decision that he had made as a man to follow God's call on his life and to walk with the Spirit, Jesus then modeled for His church, and His friends, and, and His loved ones, and His children, and His family. He modeled for them what it was like to come together into the presence of God through worship. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy this morning, okay? I'm not going to ask you to hold anybody's hand or anything like this, but I am going to ask you to stand with me. Now, when you stand... I'm going to ask you to do something else a little bit different. You notice that our rows kind of go all the way across. I'm just going to ask that you'll take steps this way until you can't anymore, and everybody will be just kind of standing together. Just kind of come across the aisle, exactly where you're at. You don't have to hold anybody's hand. And here's why we're going to do this. Because we know that when we worship, we walk into the presence of God. But I believe that when we worship together, we're also inviting him into our presence. And I believe that it's in that time we get a little peek into what the kingdom of heaven is like. Amen?
0: Would you guys worship? Hi, this is Pastor Jeff again. I just wanna say I hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to support God's work through Stockbridge Community Church, simply go to our website at secview.net. Again, that's secview.net, and click the Give tab. We want to thank you again for being with us today. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.